So in verse 13 of chapter 3, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Verse 15, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Verse 17, but wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness, or the fruit of righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace fruit of righteousness in verse 18. Now chapter 4 verse 1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3, you ask And do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Verse 6, but he gives more grace, and I'm going to stop there because that's a pretty good place to stop. But he gives more grace, kind of on a positive note after all this. In fact, that even almost as unsettling, it's as if James is rebuking whoever is reading this, no matter where they are in their walk in the, in the Lord. And then if we consider that this is inspired scripture, that the Lord Jesus is rebuking us no matter where we are in our walk of the Lord. And it's pretty unsettling, except for the fact that as we're given a blessing to understand how corrupt the flesh is, because in the section of the wisdom from above contrasted with the wisdom that is on earth, we see the connection and the parallel between earthly wisdom and the corruptions of our flesh. In verse 17, again, of chapter 3, where it says, but the wisdom from, excuse me, verse 16 from chapter 3, it says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now, recognizing what James had already said, and as a... uh, I mentioned to uh, Brother Nick earlier today that uh, that the chapter divisions didn't exist until about the twelfth or thirteenth twelfth and thirteenth century in both the Old and New Testaments, and then the verses didn't exist until the fifteenth century. They they were added later. So this is one continuous letter, and when I see what the wisdom is below, and then it and then James asks a rhetorical question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? 
Well, it's the wisdom that's from below. Because verse 16 says that that selfish ambition, that selfish ambition exists, that jealousy exists. And so disorder in every vile practice will come up. And now we look at verse 1 where it says the causes of quarrels and causes of fights among us is that struggle that we have that Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 that the flesh lusts against the spirit or its desires are contrary to the spirit and the spirit contrary to the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.17 and these two oppose one another and therefore we do some of the, we sometimes do the things that we should not which sounds very much like Romans chapter 7 that in my flesh there dwells no good thing and so he brings to the forefront it's not just earthly wisdom in contrast to heavenly wisdom in chapter 3 he is the Holy Spirit through James is bringing us a logical understanding that those wicked things that are in the world, they're still there existing as though we didn't read the Holy War tonight. If you remember from last week and the week before, uh, the in the house of Mr. Mischief, the Diabolonians all, uh, all scheming and plotting to come out of the walls of Mansoul and right into the inner city and create chaos. And so James is, uh, at this point in the letter, after building a foundation of God's grace and his sovereignty in chapter 1 and expressing to us what real faith is all about and, and continuing to minister to us in the truths of chapter 2 and chapter 3, he says, uh, you know, it's like John Bunyan. He didn't just make that allegory up as if, well, this is a kind of a fanciful story. Remember as we went along uh, last week and the week before were the margin notes that are in the original Pilgrim's Progress and even actually even the modern publications of it. It says, take heed, Mansell. Take heed, Mansell. Look to it, Mansell. This is what James is doing here. He's saying... Uh, what what causes the quarrels? It's a rhetorical question. We know what causes the quarrels among us. Uh, in other words, sometimes we look at this, what causes the quarrels or what causes the bitter envying fighting among you? Um, he's not talking about that we're at each other's throats. He's talking about the the turmoil that happens within an individual. He's addressing a large audience, but he's addressing the large audience in, you know, all, you know, all of you have these quarrels, but he's really getting us to look at the uh, what's happening with me individually. He's getting you to look at what's happening with you individually as a person. I still have the corruptions of flesh that still remain, and it's keeping me from the wisdom that's from above. The, 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 that which is pure and peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, that's impartial and sincere, which is verse 17. The, he's keeping the, the warfare that's going on in us. The flesh is trying to keep us from the harvest of righteousness or the fruit of righteousness that's sown in peace. Because he mentions in the last verse of chapter th- 3, verse 18, 
he's mentioning the peace that's sown, the fruit of the harvest of righteousness, which is sown in peace. But we don't have, always have peace. That's because the flesh rises to make war. It's the passions at war within you and me and us as individual Christians. So James is very consistent again with the Apostle Paul. For Paul warns us of those things that nothing, in Romans 7, nothing in my flesh that dwells within me. It's that flesh that is my enemy. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. That's really strong language. You desire and do not have and kill in the, I believe it's kill in the old King James Version. Um, but you desire and do not have, and so, and in, from the Greek, it, it's literally murder. And it's strong language because he wants us to know, the Holy Spirit wants us to know, that those passions of lust that are not heavenly, but are earthly, sensual, uh, that is the King James Version of the one, earthly, sensual, devilish, um, earthly, unspiritual, demonic, it says earthly in the uh, Old King James Version in chapter 3. It says earthly, sensual, devilish. That those things equate to murder. Serious stuff. But why would he say that? Because Christ, just as much as with the Apostle Paul, just as much as with the Apostle John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it's very Christocentric. It's Christ is the center of this. How does that, you know, and you know where I'm going with this, right? Every sin that we commit, the, when the flesh rises up, it's as if we were the ones yelling out, crucify him. Free Barabbas. Send that one, Jesus of Nazareth, to death. And so the language must be strong. When we sin against our Savior, we are sinning in such a way we're, we're saying it's okay to put Jesus to death. The writer of Hebrews will say the same thing when in our adult Sunday school when we get through uh, get to that place in uh, Hebrews chapter um, Hebrew, Hebrews chapter six it hints at it and then he outright says so in Hebrews chapter 10. but um, you uh, you desire and do not have, so you murder. This that's how hungry the flesh is. It's at a it's at a place where it will do anything, including murder, the Christ, in order to get what it wants. Because the fle- that's why the flesh hates the gospel. That's why the flesh hates Christ. And then now then he goes to the next one. You covet. And cannot obtain, or in the old King James Version, you covet and do not have. You covet, and he uses very, again, strong language there. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, where he says, I would, you know, here he is, he's a Pharisee, he's a a Hebrew of the Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin, and he says, I wouldn't, I, uh, I wouldn't have known sin 
and how bad it is had it not been for the law because the law then says do not covet and that's the one that Paul attacks uh, in Romans chapter 7. When I read the do not covet and I realized I covet all kinds of stuff. No one needs to know about it. It's an unseen sin. It's the one that's deep inside. When I look with desire upon anything that I'm not supposed to have, whether uh, you know whether riches that belongs to someone else or even a, a oh man that's a, that young child has an ice cream cone man I wish I had that even if it's that. He brings the imagery. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Again, he brings into the image, uh, uh, brings an image of the understanding of the warfare that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Well, there's, uh, I could say much on that, but I'll just give you this one. We believe in the sovereign grace of God, and sometimes we become fatalists. Well, God knows what I need. And say so we don't ask him, and then we become prayerless. Don't, uh, you know, and don't raise your hand on this, but who hasn't become kind of prayerless because we, you know, God knows everything, and <laughs> I'll tell you, so you don't have to raise your hands, I do this. I've done I've done this quite often. I do it less now, but I've done it plenty enough to where even if you've never done it, I've done it enough for both of us <laughs> that I don't pray. Oh, God knows what I need. No, the Bible tells us that even though he's sovereign, even though he desires to give us good things, he wants us to ask. And all of us who are parents... Uh, who have been parents and have children recognize, well, you want your children to ask you for stuff, don't you? You know you're going to give it to them. So as you, you take them out, we're actually, say, in town. One time I was at a park with, uh, with uh, Rachel, and all she had to do was ask. But I don't know if she's hungry or not, because we're passing by a vendor, and there's the uh, the guy with the... With the uh, so what are those ice cream cones on the, the drumsticks? Oh, we love those. Nuts on top of the, uh, the chocolate on the ice cream and the cone, the, the uh, waffle cone. And I, I'm kind of, we're going by each one of these things. And I'm thinking, don't you want anything to eat? You know, don't you want one of those things? Because I'm thinking I'm going to get one out of the deal myself. I don't want to just get one and have it all over her hand because she's interested in something else. Then when she says, "Dad, can I have a can I can I have a, a drumstick?" <laughs> Are you kidding? I'll get you two. I'll get two myself. <laughs> but we uh, but he says, "You you ask or you you do not have because you do not ask." And that's just one example. There are other things too, but we'll move on in verse three. Verse three: You ask and do not receive. Be, uh, ex, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So we have things that are more important than the kingdom of heaven that are on our mind. It's not wrong to, and we were covering this on Wednesdays. It's not wrong when we see in the Lord's prayer, "Give us this day our daily bread." It's us. It's not self-centered. It's we as a congregation, we're praying our Father which is in heaven, or our Father in heaven, hallowed 
be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, forgive us us our, our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we see how it's our, not my. And so when we pray for our daily bread, well, I'm not praying for the food. I'm praying for spiritual food. The man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, as Jesus uh, said when he was temp- when he was tempted, and uh, we're praying for the Holy Spirit because in Luke eleven on the same prayer, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And we're praying for Jesus because He's the bread of life. But it's not wrong to ask for food, Lord. I've been fasting for, I've been fasting for three weeks. I'm getting kind of hungry and there's no food in sight. Can you bring the ravens so that I can have food and they'll feed me? Because they even get crumbs. So it's not wrong to ask, but we need to see where he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. In other words, he's building on what, what he's been talking about. Because the flesh is a warfare against the spiritual man, spiritual woman, the spiritual child that, uh, who's made a confession, that we're asking, we have all this power and then we're, we're asking for pennies. We have all this riches that we could have, the treasure of heaven. And then we ask for, you know, paltry things. We ask wrongly to spend them on our passions. You know, like the ice cream illustration. Now going back to that, that's going to be consumed and gone in a minute. <laughs> or two minutes if it's a child. But with me, uh, it's gone. It's gone. Ate it quick. And it's gone. But the things of Christ are eternal. They don't pass away. They don't fade away. And those are the things that we should spend more time on. But our flesh wants us to spend time on stuff that doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, it's not wrong to, sp- to, to pray for temporal things. It's not wrong to, well, Lord, I don't have enough uh, uh, week at the end of this paycheck. I don't have, excuse me, turn around. I don't have enough paycheck at the end of this week. I have bills to pay, and it's good to pray for those, um, to trust the Lord in those, uh, in those things. And he does bring those miracles, and we should pray for those. But we shouldn't forsake the things that are most important. Salvation of others. The, uh, the growth of our own souls so that we may be used that we should not spend it on our own passions and feed the flesh. Because sometimes, it's, you know, I said, it's not wrong. I want to, it's not wrong to pray for those temporal things. But if that's all we pray for, then that is wrong. There should be, you know, when we pray for our missionaries, we don't want to just pray for, for the temporal support that they receive. We want to pray that the principalities and powers that are over the area, like in Poland for Brother Mike, uh, for Brother Mike Peterson and Sister Becky, we want to make sure that they're, what they're doing is, is winning in the spiritual warfare. Verse 4, again, when he uses these terms, when James uses these terms, he uses them, I believe, in the most, really in the most loving way. Now, because verse 4, he says, now, you know, he already called us murderers, and then he called us coveters. Now he's calling us adulterous. 
You adulterous people. And see, when we're walking with Christ and the illumination of his, of his glorious presence of who he is and what he's done, this Christ who has gone to the cross to save your souls, and we see the light of his glory and it illuminates even the smallest corruption that still remains in us. Now, when we're like looking at the word of God and it calls you murderer, yes, Lord, I every sin I committed and even still do, that's what you sent you to the cross. That's what pinned you to the tree. That's what shed your blood and that's what caused your death. Coveter, covetous. Yes, Lord, I desire things that oppose the Spirit, like Adam who ran into the trees and hid from your voice in the garden in the cool of the day. I covet my guilt and I covet my shame and I covet all those things that oppose the kingdom of heaven. I'm a coveter. Adulterer. I pervert all good things apart from your grace. And so when we see that and recognize that this is what holiness, this is the beginning of holiness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and, and, and a recognition of what we are without the grace of God is really the first step of holiness because holiness at its core is being honest before God and with yourself of what you really are apart from God's grace. Now, Jesus, even apart from God's grace because he is God, he's perfect but he never shirked when we read the gospels of Christ even interacting with the people that opposed him he always told the truth he was honest with who he was if he says if i denied being from the father i would be a liar just like you are it's honesty he was honest completely honest about who he was as fully god and fully man and that's what we should be we are saved by God's grace. But I can't, I can't lie to myself and say, well, now I'm saved, I've, I've arrived. Paul never said that. In fact, he has a whole wonderful letter called Philippians in chapter 3 where he made, I haven't apprehended, I'm not there yet. I press toward the mark of my high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is, the, this is that place where I have to watch myself that when I'm innocently looking at the events of the world, I'm looking at the news on the internet, I so get wrapped up in reading that story and then another story that's connected with it. And pretty soon, guess what I'm reading on the internet? I'm reading the uh, uh, why certain actors didn't win the Academy Award. <laughs> why? Now, I didn't this year. Because I think the Academy Awards are tonight. And who's going to win? I don't care. Who is nominated? I don't care. Uh, what's, what movies did they make? I don't care. I don't want to watch them. I don't, I don't really care about what's going on in Hollywood. But I do care about people. <laughs> and so when their names come up, 
quite often I'll just I, I might even throw out a prayer for them. But I'll I'm being just being honest with you. Last year I can't tell you who won the Academy Awards and I can't tell you what happened. I can tell you this that someone got slapped on stage because it was all over the headlines. Who cares? <laughs> People get slapped all the time. People are dying in Ukraine right now. <laughs> and uh but I would get watch all, all those stories. And even though I read all those stories a year later, I can't remember who it was that slapped who. Oh, you know, you know, <laughs> I didn't look at the news this week. That's okay. Good thing that you know, and you have a you're younger and you have a better memory than me. <laughs> but uh, but you know what I'm I'm getting at there that uh, I I. Even though I'm not a friend of the world, in one sense I, I kind of am because I'm joining myself with what's going on with the world in a, in a very wrong way. But those things that the world loves, I shouldn't love. And um, uh, there's se- several preachers that I think had this, uh, had this motto, and I heard Paul Washer say it once too, and I- I've used it myself from others and or probably just because Hey, you know, Paul Washer said it, so I'll say it too. Uh, As far as for pastors, others may be able to, but you can't. As far as for for me, I have to kind of set an example. I'm not saying that you guys can't watch movies, but there are things uh, that are on the... um, on Netflix and Hulu and all those other things that I shouldn't actually... I should not be watching... Um, but it might not affect you that way. I'm not a legalist in saying, well, I'm posing upon you or one of those lorded over people that says, you know, you can't do this. But some of the stuff that's out there is not healthy. Even the documentaries. Me, I'm a, I'm a documentarian. I like watching documentaries, but sometimes there are documentaries that I shouldn't, I shouldn't give a moment to. Uh, apparently the there's a lot of them are very sensationalized now but that's uh the the big one okay that's the last one i'm going to go to therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god and you know that's going on right now uh, we're going to stop at that last portion of verse 4 cuz i'm looking at the time here but i but i do want to say this concerning that you see it and it it was amplified at the shepherds conference at moments where they uh bring up things that are going on the the wokeism in america woke black lives matter uh critical race theory all that stuff at its core what those things are are making tr- attempting to make the gospel the biblical gospel acceptable to the world. Uh, in other words, what, what James is telling us here in verse 4 is don't compromise. Uh, we, don't, we, we want to evangelize and bring the gospel to those that don't believe. But as far as where they stand core-wise, at the very depth and the center of their, uh, of their philosophies and so forth, they're incompatible with the truth of the gospel. They want to make Jesus just, you could say the name of Jesus, but you're going overboard by saying that you must serve him. That's what 
the world is doing. And so there are those that are, they call themselves Christians and they call themselves churches, but they're adopting all kinds of things with the world in order to make Jesus acceptable. As if, well, Jesus going to the cross, God becoming a man and and then living a righteous life and then going to the cross, that if we believe in him and trust in what he has done for our salvation, that's not good enough. We need to dress it up a little bit. We need to bring in the worldly music and take that music and then just repeat praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, or whatever. It's just like a like a, a chant. It's and never have to preach, then we'll end up having these things like what happened in uh K- Kentucky. It's a very now, I, I, I wrote an article, most of you wrote, read that, that the, uh, there are probably people there that actually had a real experience and the Holy Spirit ministered unto them, but that was the exception, not the rule. They, got, they had no preaching of the gospel and then they had women pastors there, female pastors that are not preaching the gospel, but apparently they're recognized as, as pastors and... Um, they're just saying, uh, just uh, have this experience, feel this experience, and keep on, keep on singing. And it's interesting that it coincided with a national prayer event. It's as if they were trying to work up, because I didn't write that in the article, but I thought, uh, I, I wrote a little one sentence or two sentence paragraph saying, there are many other minor things that I'm not just going, I'm not going to bring up. And that was one of them. It was, uh, I could have brought up the female pastors. I could have brought up the fact that, uh, um, that it coincided with a national prayer event. Oh, that's very convenient. So it just ushers in when they're going to have a public ceremony with a bunch of um, well-known names. So we'll pick up verse 5 next time or where it says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us um, this is a good place to stop at 10 minutes after 7 any questions or comments okay I hope I gave you some insights that are helpful and I didn't give you everything I didn't uh, it's not exhaustive and I know that we've had a long day I just wanted to bring up so, a couple things from James to just think about um, that the language that he uses wasn't to be harsh with us in one sense. It was harsh for our blessing and benefit so that we can be startled by the language that he's using to say, oh yeah, I need to wake up and see that unless I'm in Christ, I'm not holy. Unless I'm in Christ, that's what I am. I'm a murderer, I'm a, I'm a covetous person, and I'm an adulterous person. I pervert. You know, adultery isn't just what they apply to physical intimacy adultery is taking something god has created for good and twisted it a little perverted it a little that's what adult it means impure it means unclean and so he uses that strong language to wake us up that says apart from jesus that's what we are 
And so we need to stay in Jesus. And the rest of the rest of the letter in chapters 4 and 5 really are that call that when we are startled with that, we can follow Jesus. Let's pray. Our most blessed and gracious Father and God, in Jesus' name, Lord, um, James is a wonderful book. It's very practical, but also it's very passionate and powerful. And I and uh, we ask, Lord, that you'll minister unto us its truths, that when we look over the commentaries of James, that we'll see the blessings that come from it, but also through that lens of the truth of Christ uh, and the wisdom that is above, from above, that Jesus is that wisdom, and that we may make wise decisions, wise choices, uh, that our actions would be wise for, Heavenly Father, your glory through Christ's exaltation in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.